I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast. Hope you are all doing well. Liam, we're still very much in FFCC week. How's your draft going? I think we're one of the slowest drafts. Um, currently in the 11th round, hoping it picks up a little bit more. But I'm also being sandwiched with the Warrior Bowl that I still haven't finished. Uh, that draft seems to be the slowest there is as well. So it's, it's getting painful. there. It's painful. I'm uh, I'm obviously pulling all the, the API for the ADP. And uh, yeah, I think we've got four or five drafts finished now. And yeah, there are some that are still in sort of round eight or nine. It is painful. Um, but today we have got a very special guest. Uh, so we are joined by Edwin, who you may know as at FB Injury Doc on Twitter. He is the medical analyst for Fancy Points and host of the Injury Prone podcast. So Edwin, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad that we were able to sort it out with the time difference. I know you're uh, out on the South Coast. When I heard you say South Coast, it's funny to me because here in the States, we have an East Coast and a West Coast. So when you said the South Coast, I said, oh, well, that's right, UK, not 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 in the United States. So that's cool. That's cool. It's cool the, to, advantage of, that. the advantage of being an island, we've got every coast. 
That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I was good. So I know I'm supposed to get into about me, but I'm more curious in the UK. How do you get into NFL football and not not football? Uh, that's that's a that's a long story. So <laughs> long story. Me, make it short. So for me, uh, my dad <laughs> used to watch when we were kids. Uh, and I started playing uh, a local team started up when I was 11 uh, oh. and yeah, have, have been playing for, well, playing for 20 years, um, coach for a few and, and now just, just do podcasts. What about you, Liam? Uh, very similar. So one of my mates' dads used to watch back in the eighties and nineties when he was on TV. And then uh, that passed over to my dad probably in earlier this decade or last decade, should I say now. Um, and then I started watching around 2014 and slowly expanded into fantasy. Have you been into the Have you been to the games that they have in the UK at all? In the UK, haven't been able to get tickets. I don't know about you, Rich. I think you've been yeah. to one, haven't you? Yeah, I've been to quite a lot of them. Um, I've also been over in the states. Um, we used nice. to go to Florida every well, not every summer, most summers. So we used to go to Bucks training camp quite a lot, which was always pretty nice. awesome and stuff. So, so yeah, I've been been very lucky with that side of things. But what, but what about you then, Edwin? How, how did you fall into fantasy football rather than just football football? Yeah, um, good question. So fantasy football, I've always played since, well, I don't want to say always. I was <laughs> in college when I started playing. Uh, it's like my first, second year in college or what you would call over the, across the pond, university, right? Sorry, let me be pro- <laughs> proper there. I was in university, started playing fantasy football. Uh, my first year, I remember thinking I was so bad. It was it was bad. I, I remember doing the draft and um, I think I took a quarterback in like the third round. It was terrible. So I was like, OK, I want to not suck at this. So took it more seriously, started reading more people. I actually started reading Joe Dolan, um, Joe Dolan stuff. Uh, Graham quite wasn't on the scene quite yet, but I remember doing everything like fantasy guru. And now I work with him, which is the crazy part. Uh, but that was what got me into fantasy football in general. When, once I got to physical therapy school, I was like, man, there's just not a lot of like in-depth hardcore analysis for fantasy players who are hardcore. Uh, I mean, of course, you always had David Chow, but I didn't feel like he really catered to the fantasy audience directly. It was always it always feels like and even now uh, he he sort of, you know, doesn't really give the hard hitting type of analysis that I know I was interested in. So that's what I wanted to give. And I was like, hey, you know what? I mean, I'm about to be in my last year of PT school. I've got some information in my brain that I think could be useful. I'm going to apply this uh, and and dive into this analysis type stuff. And so this is the going on my third season uh, doing this. So that's sort of in a nutshell what happened. And how, how did you take that first step? Because I can imagine for me, certainly when I started producing content, that first step of put, putting your voice out there and, and giving opinions was was tough. Was it a case of you just started you know, sharing things on Twitter or, or did you go from that? That's, that's funny, man. Cause nobody's paying attention when you start <laughs> out. Nobody cares. You can say whatever you want and you have like no voice. Nobody really cares. So it was actually easier now. Now I find myself being more measured because there's always going to be some troll out there. Oh, you know, you, you know, I say one slightly negative characteristic about a player like, Oh, you hate that player. Like everything gets held against you. And what, what you'll notice as you grow is that there are always going to be people who are going to intentionally be contrarians. It does not matter what you say, if they do a very similar type of analysis as you, or if they, if they view you as like the competition as like the big dog, quote unquote, big dog, then they're going to, they're going to find something wrong with your analysis. They're going to pick it apart and they're going to take the contrarian side. It's just a matter of life. You know, every, it happens to everybody. I, for, fortunately for me, and I say this a lot, 
I care a lot more about my real actual patients getting better than I do about, you know, did I identify that injury specifically on video correctly? Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I just do. So it doesn't bother me. I don't take my Twitter persona as seriously, I think, as a lot of people do. It's definitely me. But, you know, if I get a if I get a call wrong here or there, which we all do, it doesn't really bother me. So it's it, but I am a little bit more measured because I do also recognize that some people will just view something at face value. And I need if I want them to think more deeply about it, then I need to actually provide that type of information. So that's sort of where I'm at now. That's that's sort of what I've learned in my little journey. And I, I completely, you know, hear that and, and echo that. I think for me, when I first started my, my very first podcast, I think I recorded the first introduction about 30 times because I was so paranoid <laughs> about putting my voice out for the first time. But but now it's, as you said, it's about that measured approach of not wanting to kind of, you know, overthink things, but but making sure what you're putting out is is relevant and right and correct and accurate right. to, to the best of your ability as such. The, the flip side of that too is I've, and I, I did it just the other day. I made a mistake about the Jalen Waddle injury. People will do go to great lengths to to backtrack and cover their tracks and make it seem like they didn't make a mistake, right? Sort of revisionist history. Or I actually meant this or meant that. I have no problem being like, oh yeah, I was wrong. I just didn't look into it enough. I didn't understand it correctly at the time. Like I was wrong, like no big deal. Um, and honestly, that's sort of like the, have you, have either of you seen eight mile, the movie eight mile? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's sort of like when, Oh, Liam hasn't. All right, man. No, I personally haven't. I'm, no. I'm kicking you off. Your <laughs> that makes me, I bet that's an age thing, isn't it, Liam? I bet that's an age thing. That makes me feel old. The fact that you're How old are you, Liam? 23, just turned 23. This no, year. he's old enough. There's no excuses. <laughs> so it's like when, it's like when, when, when rabbit at the very end, the last rap battle, right? He says everything and he said the very last, what does he say? I know, I know everything that you're going to say against me here. Say something these people don't know about me. And he tosses the mic. He's got nothing to say. So when you come out and you're like, I was wrong, then people are like, okay, cool. I appreciate you were wrong. Now I know you are going to admit when you're wrong. You're not going to be one of these people who backtracks and tries to create a revisionist history, but enough about that. That's, that's and I think it, it, but it, it humanizes you, doesn't it? I think for me, anybody who sits on, you know, on Twitter or on whatever platform they're using and says, I get hundred percent of my takes, right. It's just rubbish. You know, <laughs> That's if, right. to be honest, if I'm, if I bat, you know, 60% on my takes, I'm delighted because right. it means chances are I'm probably doing something right because, you know, as, as great as you are, doesn't matter what approach you take. A lot of it's still guesswork. Yeah. That's a dirty little secret too, is that this is at, at least bare minimum. This is 50.01% out of our control at least at best right at best a, a slight edge you know goes to randomness we cannot predict everything we can we can generally be you know accurate about certain situation circumstances um and especially when it comes to injuries too like i'm operating off of reports that are secondhand i'm not actually in the room you know looking at the images uh, talking to players, examining the players. Like I'm working off of what coaches tell us, what training staffs tell tells us, and what beat reporters say. So it, it's always a game of trying to like read between the lines, and that that gets tricky sometimes. I've learned that gets tricky. Do you find that just diving into that? Do you find that when you're getting that information from beat reports and stuff, sometimes they're almost trying to provide their own analysis and and sort of trying to do your job for you, and sometimes getting it wrong. 
You know, I actually don't find that surprisingly with beat reporters. They uh, are they do a pretty good job of just relaying what they hear and what they think uh, in terms of like, this is not what they think. I shouldn't have said that. They relay what they hear. They don't know if that's true or not. Um, the flip side is it's funny because they'll try to report something accurately. And so like not everybody takes, you know, years of anatomy and physiology. Why would you if you're a beat reporter? So it's funny. Some of the, the lingo that you'll hear thrown away, like they'll say that they tore a bone or they say they'll, they fractured a ligament or something, you know, every now and then it'll slide in and you're like, okay, I sort of know what you meant, but that that's the funny side of it. But beat reporters, especially the good ones, if you can find the good ones, um, they do a pretty good job of, of giving information that will allow you to deduce what's going on well that's a perfect segue because what we brought you on here to do today is talk about injuries within dynasty specifically so for from a dynasty perspective how much should we be putting into the the injury side of things when we see an injury report come out from a beat reporter or if you're following edwin which as a listener you should because he's brilliant but if we see something on Twitter or something like that. How much stock do we put into that from a dynasty's perspective? If it's confirmed and if you know what you're working with and if you know it's relevant, which again, if you're following me on Twitter at if me and Drew Docs, you know, shameless plug, then <laughs> you should have a pretty good idea of how much stock you should put into it. Amari Cooper coming off of a small scope in January, having quote irritation in June now on the pup list. Yeah, that matters. That's something that you're going to want to watch. Um, Dak Prescott having a lat strain, you know, the first week of camp after, you know, a pandemic season, alter workloads from the major injury coming off the major injury, knowing that it's not a full tear because he was still out there, like, you know, running on air uh, in camp the next day, then that's something that you obviously take with a grain of salt. Okay, he'll probably be fine by the time week one rolls around. So it all, it's all dependent. It all depends on the severity of the injury, the type of injury. And if you are too lazy, which I am too, and sometimes um, if you're too lazy to look into it yourself, yeah, just follow me on Twitter, follow any injury analyst, any injury analyst. So I guess the answer to your question, it's very important in my opinion. So are there specific injuries that you need to be looking into? I know from what, like reading your stuff that you tend to look at Achilles and MCL tears and stuff like that more than just a twinge on the ankle, for example, but uh, is there anything specific you always see as misconstrued? Yes, I think that we like to wrap our minds around certain injury situations in the most simple way possible. And a lot of times it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's all it all comes in shades of gray. So, for example, an ACL tear, an ACL tear is not great. Obviously, nobody's saying that it's a good thing, but you have to look at an ACL tear compared to Tariq Cohen and an ACL tear you know, to Saquon Barkley. Those are very different, astronomically different situations, even within ACL tears themselves. Was it an ACL and meniscus? Was it a full meniscus? Uh, was it a partial meniscus? Did they have a meniscectomy? Did they suture it? There are so many factors that go into specific injuries. And then it also depends on positional demands. The ACL, the reason that, that Joe Burrow is going to be able to probably play week one, it's not a guarantee, but he'll probably be ready by week one is because his positional demands. He doesn't have to jump cut sprint he doesn't have to be at full 100 from a strength and conditioning standpoint to do his job to whereas if saquon barkley if we were sitting here at nine months and we're not with saquon barkley and it, he was going to be nine months at week one he probably wouldn't be ready he probably would be eased in but given the fact that he's you know at 10 months and two weeks by the time week one kicks off and the fact that he's generational from an athletic standpoint then he's probably going to be okay so 
you look at ACLs, you look at Achilles that are a totally different beast. And a lot of these injuries, unless they're massive sort of like surgical issues, they tend to be non-issues. Like Calvin Ridley had a stable foot, uh, a stable foot sort of sprain last year. He's going to be fine this year. I know he had a scope. That's probably probably related he's going to be fine this year you look at somebody like joe mixon who had a, a you know a pseudo foot sprain he probably did have a foot sprain but then he was going to be, he's going to be fine so it, it all depends it depends on the type of injury and it really depends on the positional demands so are there are there any this is me putting my uh negative hat on are there any injuries that are you know we hear this phrase career ender thrown around and we've heard it a lot over the last month with the cam Akers injuries are there any injuries that you, if if someone in the NFL had, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's it, you're done? Or, or is it a case of it's all that sort of gray area in between? Again, gray area, because it depends on the player's athleticism, it depends on their position, and it depends on the severity of the injury. So something like what Alex Smith had, most times it's going to be career ending for a running back. If that happens to a running back, there's no way Alex Smith comes back and does what he did, which was amazing. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, if he's a running back or a receiver, uh, the flip side is Cam Akers tore his Achilles, like we've mentioned already, and he's probably not in all reality going to hit his ceiling that he would have pre-injury. There's a chance, a small chance, but it's highly unlikely, but he can still come back and contribute. Uh, you also look at the fact that most of the research looks at Achilles tendon ruptures and players who are like 28 years old, right? So um, you look at somebody like, I think it was Arian Foster at the end of his career towards Achilles. He wasn't going to come back from that. Um, so it just, it all depends. And I know that's, that's really a blanket answer and a blanket statement, but that it really is all dependent on, on the entire situation and context, which is why I think individual breakdowns instead of comparisons are so important. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, you know, that's, that's basically fantastic because when we see this Cam Akers injury and the most c- consistent thing I hear and, and report in and see people saying, right, well, that's it, Cam Akers career is done because no one comes back from, from an Achilles tear. But actually, as you said, you know, and that's why I enjoy following you and, and your work because you offer that kind of nuanced breakdown on a case by case basis. And I think that, that that really helps separate, you know, not just, oh, it's a, a patella tendon tear, that's it, it's career right. over, because each individual case is different. Right, absolutely. So I heard you speaking there. You've got, so are you saying that there's a spend, essentially three variables? You've got the position they play, the type of injury, and then the type of player that they are? Because you were comparing Barkley com- to some other guy who's saying that Barkley is more of a generational talent athletically. So is there any one part of that three those three variables that uh, you put more stock in so if they're more generational do you tend to think about it differently is that good question uh so like there's a study specifically for acls and what that study did over 27 years it looked at nfl players and it looked at their return from a acl tear and if they returned to their previous level so it basically matched what their, what their counterparts would have done. So if they were a practice player, they came back to being a practice player. If they were, uh, you know, a starter, they came back to being a starter. If they were backup, they came back to being a backup. And what they found is that the most predictive variables are for ACL tears for players to come back is age younger than 24. And there was gosh, cause I, I get these all confused. It's basically draft capital. That's what it was. It was draft capital. Um, so if their draft capital was in the fourth round or higher, then they were able to return to their previous level of performance 
more easily. And ostensibly, we can project that out, the higher the draft capital, the better, because A, the team will give them more of a chance, and B, they're probably just a better player, and they're going to get that opportunity anyway. So if I, if, if we were going to look at anything specifically for ACLs, it would be age and draft capital that probably projects out to other injuries too. So is this you saying that there's still hope for Rashad Penny yet? I think there's hope for him, man. But then again, I'm a Seahawks fan, so you probably don't want to hear my takes. I think that his longevity at this point is capped because I, I think what happened is he had a meniscus issue. When you have meniscus issues, the meniscus is basically the, the shock absorber of your knee. And they had to shave some of that out, I'm assuming. Then I think he might have had some loose bodies, some cartilage floating around. They had to go in again. Every time you open up a joint, you increase your risk of arthritis, right? Or what, what you'd call Todd Gurley disease. And just the fact that he's had you know a handful of these already, um, or I guess it's only been two. I'm exaggerating. His his longevity, the, the literature just does show that the the more of these that you have, the less the the fewer years you have in the league. But from like a an upside year to year 2021 perspective, I still think that he can be a, like I, I know how this sounds, but if Chris Carson were to go down, I really think that Rashad Penny take, given the opportunity could be a league winner. It's literally music to my ears. I've, I've, been, I've, I've, I've been riding the Rashad Penny bandwagon for the last, what, three, four years? It feels yeah, like, it's been so. forever for us, man. It's been forever. Yeah, I've got a lot of Dynasty shares that it would be nice if he paid off some sort of investment eventually. So is there anything you think from a finan- uh, fantasy or a Dynasty community standpoint? Is the, They're still getting wrong. Is there anything that you think... The, the whole community as a whole just perceive it completely incorrectly? I, I think that it's not one thing. I think it's, it's one type of thinking. And that type of thinking is full fade or I am drinking the Kool-Aid, nothing's going to stop me. And it just, it always goes back to that sort of middle ground where it's all relative. You cannot look at a player and, and I've had to alter my stance on some players, right? So you can't look at one player who has obviously had a clear pattern of injuries, missed games in college, misses games in the NFL and say, I'm, I'm all in. doesn't matter. The flip side is true. If you get a dude who has a concussion and then an ACL tear and then a bone contusion or something, then you can probably be pretty. And they didn't miss many games in college. You can probably be pretty confident that they're not going to continue to miss games for stupid reasons. Keenan Allen comes to mind. Keenan Allen lacerated a kidney, had an ACL tear and had an AC joint sprain. None of that mattered. Because he wasn't going to be injury prone at the end of the day. So it, it's it's all relative. It all matters. And that's why injury analysis is, is just, to me, is like the key to gaining an edge, especially now when everybody, everybody and their dog has access to rankings, projections, information, social media, connections to teams, whatever it may be, everybody has an edge somewhere. And I think the lowest hanging fruit is good, decent, individualized injury information. Injury information that you can use and is applicable and actionable. And, but the problem, the problem is, is when you're talking about that gray area again, is it, it's, it doesn't get the reaction on Twitter. You know, if you say full fade or, or full, I'm all in that, that's where, that's where you get the interaction and the, uh, the people telling you what to do on, on Twitter, isn't it? So that's why we're going to see people time and time again going, well, that's it. Michael Thomas has done, done his ankle. That's it. I'm, I'm never touching him. You should sell him yeah, whatever exactly. you can you, yeah, it's the full fade disease. Everybody does that. Like if you would have faded Keenan Allen in his second year of the league, then you missed out on a lot of a lot of money, probably a lot of real money. That's the thing, too, is that a lot of these a lot of people are playing for some like high stakes money. And what I've found, too, 
is, and I don't say this to toot my own horn. I say this because this, this is just sort of my trail of logic. I'm not saying I'm the only injury analyst or the best injury analyst, anything like that. Um, and I'm also not saying that like blue check marks mean everything, but a lot of blue check marks who I was shocked to find out started following me, right? The more that my work got put out, even if, it, even if I didn't think it was great work, a lot of blue check marks follow me. They're professionals at this. They do this for a living. A handful of those blue check marks are in my DMs. They're asking me week to week questions. Scott Barrett, who's, you know, I, I work basically work for, for Scott Barrett at Fantasy Points. Dude's in my DMs all the time. So the sharper you are, the more likely you are to follow an injury analyst, at least one, and get their take on specific circumstances. Um, and which is what, what, what I try to provide is like good in-context information on injuries. It's, it's just about adding strings to your bow, isn't it? Is that every little, like, you know, if you, it's the addition of marginal gains, if you can pick up a 1% marginal gain through, you know, getting the right information exactly. in terms of injuries, what, exactly. why wouldn't you? I think it's hugely important. Because for those guys and girls, they're, you know, a lot of them are doing like $1,000 buy-ins, $2,000 buy-ins. A 1% or 2% edge is like the difference between winning back that, you know, $1,000 buy-in and losing it. So like it, it, it's, it's all relative again, just like everything. It's all relative. But I think the more that you can dig into these advantages, the better off you're going to be. Do you tend to see the different um, injury analysts have different takes on things? Or do you tend to see that there's a, a lot of crossover, but you might have a different outcome? I think there's a lot of crossover, which is good. There's a lot of variety. Um, and where the difference lies, the difference typically comes from who was more shades of right on this situation. Um, it might've been that we had different work operating off of different reports, making different assumptions. Maybe we, you know, like I mentioned earlier, maybe we thought one guy had an ACL meniscus, but he didn't. Um, a lot of times the difference in analysis, it comes down to human opinion, right? It's my opinion based. I like to think I'm based in literature based on a, on that 27 year review. I like to think that my opinion that Saquon Barkley can come back and buck the trend on these ACL tears um, is a good evidence, sound evidence-based uh, analysis, individualized given context, information, situation. I like to think that's an informed opinion. Some, a handful, a lot of my uh, colleagues, whether they're physicians or PTs, they're on, they're on that, you know, he's going to be fine in maybe 18 months, but I'm not going to take him this year, which I totally understand. That's what history said too. Uh, it just depends on situation. It depends on context. Um, and it depends on ultimately how each individual interprets that, you know, the information, just like everything else, right? You, I can tell you that, you know, Saquon Barkley has averaged however many points per game. And then you can say, okay, well, he's only had this many games with Daniel Jones. And so he might not get the target volume that you're projecting. And so it's like, okay, so it just depends. And, and ultimately you have to sort of eventually take a stand. And my stand happens to be that <laughs> Saquon Barkley should not be taken in the second round. That's for damn sure. Sorry, I guess I don't know if I can curse. <laughs> no, go for it. Um, so with sticking with Saquon Barkley, there was the report, I can't think when it was a couple of weeks ago, that he's not fully convinced or he's not committing to play in week one. Do you think from a kind of an injury standpoint, from a medical background, that's likely that we're going to see him at the start of the season? Or do you think it will be a, a slower kind of eased into the season in terms of those timescales? Let, let me read you this quote from Ryan Dunleavy. This, this, he said this on uh, July 26th, so a few days ago. This is what Ryan Dunleavy said about Saquon Barkley. My understanding from sources last week is that Saquon Barkley considers himself ready to go. 
medical experts are telling him his recovery is on track or ahead of expectations, but the giants will slow, will go slow, maybe not ramping him up until 10 days of, until the last 10 days of camp to get for week one. So what I'm saying is, and you also, again, more context, right? Nuance, nuance matters. It doesn't matter what I think Saquon Barkley can do. It's what the giants are going to let him do. And that's where rational uh, coaching comes in. And that's JJ Zacharyson talks about this a lot. Rational coaching and rational decision-making by GMs and organizations cannot be assumed. And we know the giants are not sharp, right? I mean, David Gettleman talks about computer guys and trying to, you know, anyway, enough on David Gettleman, but the moral of the story is I, to a certain extent have been correct in saying Saquon Barkley is generational. He's going to buck the trend. His recovery is going to look great. And Ryan Dunleavy all but confirms yeah, most of his docs are saying like, holy cow, he's way ahead of schedule. But it doesn't matter if he's ahead of schedule, if the Giants are going to ease him in, right? So I can't project that. That's the part that's out of everybody's control is ultimately what the Giants will do. But what I'm saying is that from like a medical perspective, Saquon Barkley sounds like he's going to be locked and loaded, ready for week one. It's just, it'll, it, it'll, it'll depend on what the Giants decide to do with him. So staying with some of the um, specific players, we hinted at Michael Thomas earlier and I suppose I put him in here hoping that you were going to give me some good news because I took him in the Warrior Bowl in the fifth about two days or three days before the uh, injury news popped up. So what can you tell us about Michael Thomas? That's brutal. That's brutal. You took him before the injury news? Yeah, fifth fifth round just before the the injury Okay, here's let me back up. Let's start from there. The fact that Michael Thomas before the news was going in the fifth round was preposterous. Exactly why I took him. Exactly why. Going in the Michael Thomas going in the fifth round when just last year he was going wide receiver one, that just just preposterous. It was it was asinine. Now, people who were fading him got lucky in the sense that he should have had surgery back in January. The team was confused about why he didn't. Allegedly, he went to a specialist. A specialist told him, "You can wait on this. Uh, let's try to rehab it." By the time he got to training minicamp, the Saints were like, "What the hell, dude? You should have been. You should have had surgery a long time ago." So now we're looking at a timeline of between 12 and 16 weeks. This is a, he had fixation surgery and they, I think had to repair the deltoid ligament is when that ended up happening. So he's not going to be back for a while. And even when he does get back, I don't think he'll be full form by at least mid season. I do think that he can be like a back half of the season, sort of Lee winner type, especially, you know, given that people will probably end up dropping him, getting impatient. He'll hang out on the, on the wait list, but the situation is entirely volatile for 2021. This is, this is an extremely volatile situation. He's got bad blood with the team that's been broiling over the last year or so. He, this situation happened, which was super odd. He might just say, hey, you know, I'm going to hold out here. It's week 10 or 11, but I'm still not ready to go. I want to be 110%. We just don't know what's going to happen, right? The decision-making in, this, in the injury itself make this probably the most volatile situation for, for any player in 2021. That wasn't any good news for me, was it? <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't. It wasn't good news. I don't have it. If I had any, I'd share it. Is this is this the type of injury that once he's had the surgery, once he's rehabbed it, once he's you know probably looking 2022 and beyond, should he be back to to full fitness, or, or will it kind yeah, of yeah. linger and drag on? No, 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 not into 2020. This shouldn't linger. This this injury shouldn't linger. Um, it shouldn't have lingered. We shouldn't have even been having this conversation. But here we are, right? He waited until June to have the surgery. So um, this is not something that should that should take too long for him to recover. Well, it sh- it should it's going to take a while for him to recover from, but it won't be something that should drag on. Okay. And then the the other 
big pre-season injury that we've we've all talked about, we've all heard, we've we've hinted at a couple of times. So Cam Akers with the Achilles, you know, you you've said obviously it's, it's not a good good injury. It's certainly not that, but given his age, given you know his athletic profile, do you, do you hold hold out some hope that he could be back come twenty twenty two? Well, here's the thing: what do you think his ceiling was? Before this, before it, before any you're, of this. You're asking the wrong person because I'm. I was very much fading Cam Akers at, at cost was and wasn't yeah. touching him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, so yeah. So we, we weren't particularly hot on him. I think he was my dynasty RB fourteen before before the injury. So, uh, if I had to summarize it in a sentence or two, I would say whatever you thought Cam Akers' ceiling was, it's probably safe to project him for eighty to ninety percent of that now. These are different injuries compared to ACL injuries because tendons are live tissue. Tendons are just an extension of the muscle, the plantar flexors, which is the, the muscles that help you come up on your tippy toes, plant, cut, jump that that's, those are huge muscles. They, they, they are, they generate a lot of power and that tendon never remodels the same modern science and modern medicine has not gotten to the point where we can remodel those tendons to the point that they were pre-injury levels. It's just, unfortunately, the name of the game. Can he come back and contribute? Yeah, I think so. Um, but will he be like a top five running back in the league at this point? I just, I don't think so. He's got a chance because he's, you know, whatever, 22, super young. Maybe the Rams give him another chance because they invested so much draft capital into him. But at the end of the day, I don't think that this, this isn't, you whatever way you want to spin it, this isn't good news for Cam Akers. I think a lot of people are trying to, you know, the injury optimism, you asked me earlier, well, you know, what, what, what the mistakes people make. Yeah, people, it, it really, it really makes me scratch my head. People will almost spin an injury and, and, you know, dance around it. They don't say this is a good thing, but it's like a lot of their logic is that this is a good thing for players. Like no, injuries are never a good thing for players. So <laughs> yeah, that's where I stand on K-Makers. I guess someone's sitting there saying that an injury is a good thing because it means they can rest for, for six weeks and, and not take <laughs> <Right>. the beating. <laughs> right, right. Oh dear. So let, let's move on to one that there was a lot of talk about last year and when he played, he was great, but when he was injured quite a bit last year. So that was George Kissel. And I've shown or I've talked about on the pod that I'm so uncertain with this offense because not I think there might have been one or two games where they were all healthy or Samuel Akers and and Ayuk and Kittle were all healthy on the field at the same time. So just George Kittle in this situation, what can you tell us about his injuries? Because what we've got down is he had a foot injury, he had an MCL sprain and a shoulder injury last year. So the thing about George Kittle is that he has been injured and it's not, it's not not concerning, I suppose, but really a lot of his injuries, uh, people chalk them up to his style of play, which I've pushed back on and I have a thread on because that doesn't make any sense. He's three of his major injuries, two hyperextensions and a foot fracture have come as a defenseless receiver or blocker. So it has nothing to do with how he runs, what he does, you know, after the catch, it has nothing to do with that. So if that's what you're thinking on George Kittle, get that out of your head immediately. It has nothing to do with it. The only injury that I would specifically worry about is he's had this shoulder dislocation, this labrum issue that he apparently never got surgery from. If he's going to have any type of recurrence, it's going to be for the shoulder issue. So there is a, a moderate amount of volatility with that. Uh, there's about a 50% uh, 
recurrence in shoulder dislocations, the injury that we saw with Dalvin Cook in 2019. Uh, another player who has had three of those, by the way, and two surgeries, I believe, Dalvin Cook. But we can't predict when it's going to happen. We can't predict if it's going to happen again. But there is a higher recurrence with those shoulders. But in terms of the other issues that he's had, you know, foot fractures are very common among pass catchers of his relative age group. And a lot of the times they just tend to disappear those foot issues after they're, I'm going to assume their bone density sets in, you know, they become full fledged adults and they stop developing bone density and they, they, they max out there. So I'm not too concerned about George Kittle, but you know, he's got a moderate amount of volatility, but at the same time, you know, you have what, maybe, maybe four tight ends who you'd consider like producers. And after that, you have just a bunch of nobodies. So it's really hard to fade any tight end regardless of injury. So, so you you feel comfortable spending a you know what are we a, a, a top two top three round draft pick in a, in a redraft league and and not concerned about that that potential injury hit that early in your draft? Yeah, I think I'd be comfortable with that. I really would. Um, if you're gaining an advantage somewhere, um, he went all of 2020 without the shoulder being an issue. So you know it's it's definitely something that you. Uh, would have to measure depending on your roster construction and your, you know, your team set league settings, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to tell you to, and that's the other part that we were talking about too, is like, I have to be really measured in what I say. So like last year, I made the mistake of saying that, uh, who was it? I think it was actually Rob Gronkowski. You know, I was like, ah, Rob Gronkowski, he's going to come back. He's going to be washed didn't take into consideration exactly how thin tight end was. So it was probably the wrong thing to say fade Rob Gronkowski. So I'm not going to tell anybody to fade George Kittle, but if you're sitting there and you're staring at George Kittle and for, I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, Stefan Diggs. Oh man, I'm going to go Diggs there. Absolutely. They can be a tiebreaker. And I say that often is that you can definitely use injuries and specific injury situations as a tiebreaker. And I think that, you know, we're sort of more focused on that dynasty side of things. We talk about injury discounts all the time. And I think, you know, certainly George Kittle is one that if you just take his production, his age, he should easily be, you know, a top two tight end, if not a top one tight end. Right. But exactly. there's that injury worry. And, and if you're sitting here saying that, yes, he, you know, he, he could continue to get injured. Any, anyone in the NFL could. But there's no significant concern in each of these industries outside the shoulder. Then I'm sitting here thinking perhaps I need to go out and buy some George Kittle shares and, and sort of yeah. reap that injury discount. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us, Edwin. It's been, it's been fantastic. I think, you know, certainly as, as we said at the top, it's, I think I thoroughly enjoy your approach to, to kind of breaking down these injuries. It's certainly a resource that I've used over the last year or so and, and hope that the listeners will, will go and, uh, indeed check and, and read all of your work so so where can where can we uh, where can we find you where can we listen to you where can we uh, yeah i appreciate that guys it means a lot to me um so you can find me at fantasypoints.com it's all my written work and then the injury prone fantasy football podcast where this year i'm putting out a lot of well all of them really all of my profiles out in podcast form because they're just a lot easier to do that way i'm a little cut for time because i'm in the middle of wrapping up a residency so wow. i'm gonna do my big articles on the tiers. I'm working on my wide receivers today. My running back volatility tiers are up at fantasypoints.com now. And then my injury profiles look forward to Dalvin Cook, Joe Burrows. You know, I already did Saquon over at the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. So that's what I'm going to do. That's where you can find me. And then, of course, on Twitter at FBinjury.com. 
Fantastic. I'm sitting here moaning about not having any time and you're doing a residency as well as producing all the content you're doing. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, man. It's trying. It's, wow. it's definitely the volume's gone down this year, which I'm disappointed about. But um, next year, I'll be back full fledged. By the time the season rolls around, the residency will be over. So you can That's catch it. me back on Twitter. I'll be all over it. I'm I'm never moaning about not having any time ever again. That's uh, I, I take that <laughs> you out. Got That's kid, incredible. Man. You got you've got an infinite home now. You've probably got less time than I do. Here I am complaining. <laughs> yeah, but they go to bed at some point. At least I could you know I could do <laughs> things like right. this in the evening. Awesome. Well, thank you ever so much, Edwin. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on. Um, as we said, for those who aren't reading, following um, Edwin's work, please do. It is fantastic and it will, as we said, give you that extra 1%, 2% mileage gain that will help you this year. Um, but yeah, we will we will see you again next week, guys, and we'll be back with another great pod. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 